VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I don't need no wine and dine. I want something high class. High class. I spend my nights at home romancing the podcast. Take a deeper dive into these movies that are trash. trash. Meet what's in a bookstore and then we'll smash. Roll call. Todd. Paige. The, the other guy. Oh, yeah. Mikey. Mikey. Tuning into Romancing the Pod, you had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. And I'm Todd Schlosser. And this week, I made you guys watch The, the Birdcage. Bird so, is this the first time you guys had seen this movie before? Absolutely not. Nice. I've seen this movie a couple times. I like this movie. I like this movie too. All right. So, what did you guys think about it having seen it recently? Because for me, I hadn't seen it in like 10 years. And there's some things where I was like, oh, this isn't great um i mean i think we need to talk about how val is the villain of this film val is the worst also some real problematic stereotype performances but the one thing that this had like this has one up on philip morris from last week in that it actually has a gay actor in it yeah so at least there's that yeah but overall i think one of the things i love about this movie is we do see a healthy gay family relationship yeah that like love each other and even though they they fight they have their disagreements like any other family but at the end of the day they are there for each other even when things seem like they're falling apart and i love that yeah also i i would love to see this on stage the musical version of it i have heard some songs from and recently saw ginger minge performing some of the songs from it (laughs) i love ginger minge and so I like sobbed all the way through it. Yeah. I was just like, oh, oh God. So I would love to see the whole thing and sob for like an hour and a half. It'd be great. Yeah. I'm with you guys. I, I really liked it. And then I haven't watched it in a long time either. And I was like, mm, modern lens. It's again, amazing how far things have come since this movie has came out. Yeah. Well, this movie came out in 96. Like it's been a while. It's- I have some specific notes about when this came out and how and how it came to be as a movie, because it almost did not. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, 96, a movie like this in 96? Yeah. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was definitely out of time. Another unexpected thing, I was not expected to be attracted to Callista Flockhart. Hmm. I would have expected you to be attracted to Callista Flockhart. Same. Have you not seen her teeth? There's so many. (laughs) There's just so many teeth. I I was just thinking more of like, you can barely pick her out of a lineup, so Mikey's gonna be into it. (laughs) Mikey, it's true. Oh yeah, like Paige's people all look so different. She has such a diverse cast of characters in her top ten list. Hey, if you see the Witcher walking around, you're gonna notice it. I do occasionally see the Witcher walking around behind you. He's your husband, Jake. I know, I'm trying to get him to be the Witcher for Halloween. Oh, yes. Just get a wood hot tub and take pictures. That's all I ask. Oh, yes. (laughs) Get one of those stock tank pools. Yes. God, Todd's like, I'll be Yennefer. I'll wear purple eye contact. There you go. I loved this movie when I saw it the first time. Uh, I've seen it many times since seeing it the first time, but it had probably been about 10, maybe 12 years since I had last seen it. And I think Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that was different for me watching it this time was that I was like, Oh, Val is a shitty son. Like, 
yeah. next level shitty. And Callista Flockhart's character is a shitty girlfriend. Like to expect your boyfriend, fiance, really, to pretend his family is not what his family is is shitty. I would say Val is more so more, guilty. He's more yeah. guilty. And I yeah. would say, though, not in their defense, but this is something to put in context. He's 20 and she's 18. Oh, so yeah. Like, yeah. Mikey, I made that mistake. Don't get married for another 10 years after that. I, well, there's that, but like, you know, aren't all 18 and 20 year olds just shitty? Ooh, yeah. I sorta. mean, <laughs> yes, but I, I feel like it's a particular level of shitty to go to the people who raised you and loved you and and they clearly have a good yeah. relationship so to go to those people and be like i need you to pretend that you are not the thing that you are that made me who i am it's almost like saying i don't love who you are because it is inconvenient for me and it's bad no it is i think that's what i did not notice the first time i watched it because I was probably 12 when I first saw this. So I didn't get that dynamic at all. That whole part of the movie just made me sad. Like the setup, if the setup was tweaked a little differently where they had to pretend based on like, he's like, we don't want, we don't want to ever introduce y'all. Her parents are just bonkers. They don't, they don't, they're, they're hateful. She wants to come visit. And then like, she's visiting and they have like a great visit. I don't know. A different setup where it wasn't him being like, I'm ashamed of you. Yeah, and well, and the thing is, I don't know that there is a setup that avoids that, and I think it's it's one of those things more that's agency a little... for the parents, if that makes sense. Like well, it's their decision to try to hide. I don't know. I think it's more a product of the times. Val's only personality trait is being ashamed of his parents. Yeah, I don't know anything else about Val except he wants to marry Calista Flockhart for reasons, and then he's ashamed of his family. Yeah, that's that's all I got. I don't know what he does, what he went to college for. I don't know why he loves that one girl. Nothing. I do feel like he has a lot of shitty moments to only have one decent moment where he's like, this is my mom. And he like reveals that Nathan Lane is a woman, even though Gene Hackman still to this day doesn't understand. But yeah, I just feel like it was so, he was so shitty so much that this one good moment does not absolve him of all that shittiness. Cause like he was asking his parents to like go back into the closet for an evening and then he was going to marry that woman. And then that would be the rest of their life whenever they were like with their in-laws, right? Like you're, ne- yeah. you're going to see those people again. Well, and, I mean, this is just as shitty as when it happens in happiest season. Yes. You know, yes. like it's just as shitty. It's, it's not being able to stand behind the people that you love for yeah. who they are. You know? Absolutely. Val is the villain of this film. Val is the villain of this film. And I feel like Callista Flockhart should have ended up with Aubrey Plaza. I'll say it. <laughs> I, I have the courage to say it. Yeah, I do also feel like Robin Williams like generation and Nathan Lane's like generation like they had to go through so much like to come out and it was so it was much more stigmatized and it was like rough and then to have them go you mean their their characters generation that's what I mean yeah okay I mean although yeah. Nathan Lane is gay and I'm yeah, sure I, dealt with I was that. just like I was like I don't think Robin Williams had to deal with that but no. okay I mean he had to come out as an alien around the time uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Lane was coming out as a, you know a gay man but like I'm sure that because that's like Stonewall happened for that generation yeah and it's not great now but it was really bad then so like to yeah. have them then go back into the closet because you can't be honest with your in-laws is insane 
Well, and they also, I mean, they include something within the story. It's a, a repeated refrain about the palimony agreement. And that's because literally the government does not recognize their relationship at all without them making oh, external yeah. arrangements that, by the way, sometimes governments would supersede those arrangements. So, yeah. like, it's not, a, it's as much of a guarantee as they can have, but it's not the most, you know, it's not secure the way that really a marriage would be as far as legality goes. I mean, it, that still doesn't grant you like the right to choose palliative care or thing, end of life decisions in hospitals. Right. Like, that is just like a, I own stuff and you now own half of the stuff because we signed, like Mikey and I could do that. Well, we're not going to. <laughs> I don't want your shit, Mikey. I take your house. <laughs> it is nice. What we find out in that conversation, and they they just address it briefly, is that the club is actually at Albert's name. Yeah, you know, so like that was him trying to take care of Albert. Yes, yeah. I cry during that scene every time Absolutely. I watch it, and it's the only time I cry because it's so fucking sweet. And Robin Williams in this movie, I think, does an amazing job. But plays like sort of a straight man character And I realize that that sounds ridiculous In the context of what the movie is You mean in the comedy sense Yeah, but he is not like Mork from Mork and Mindy He's not like right. over the top yeah. funny That's Nathan Lane's job And Nathan Lane crushes that job But Robin Williams is like the, you know The guy Nathan Lane is playing off of And you really mm -hmm. get to see Robin Williams Do like some heavy emotional stuff in that scene and it just gets me, man. And also, this is like the first time I've watched a Robin Williams movie since he died. And oh, yeah. man, I oh. loved him so much. I still have not watched Hook since I he died. Oh, yeah. I, no, I grew up on that movie. Ugh. Okay, so what was the plan for Val and Callista Fockhart here? Like, they were still going to get, like, they're going to have his parents pretend to be different people for like a weekend. But like, what about the rest of their lives? That's what I don't get. I, I think they were literally just going to like, have them meet so that they could get married because at, at the beginning of the movie, I think she's not 18 yet because they actually say it. So she's like turning 18. I think the plan was have them meet so that her parents aren't suspicious, get married, either do the full wedding or just elope it, whatever right. it is. And then once it's binding, legally binding, they're just like, surprise, it's a gay couple. <laughs> I mean, that's real shitty. I mean, although Gene Hackman is real shitty for, you know, political reasons, you know, he is a part of this like moral coalition or whatever, which is that a was a huge deal at the time. Like, no, I know. I know it is very of the time. Yeah. Those people exist now. Oh, absolutely. But it was very funny how accurate, but also over the top they played it where it's oh, yeah. like just just a tiny bit more than act like than what was actually happening. Just like a sliver more. And it made it perfectly hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Some of some of the kind of in jokes for the politics at the time were very, very funny. Yes. Well, the mentioning of Jeb Bush and all of that stuff, who was the governor of Florida around that time. I honestly think it's. It was funnier for me this time as an adult adult, as opposed to, I think the last time I watched this would have maybe been in college. Like it, it was, it's been a while. Same for me, I think. Yeah. So to watch this now as an adult and be like, oh, I get all of these jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, oh man, that is oof. Yeah. Uh, it, it did make it a lot funnier, but also a lot sadder. Yeah. It's a great, oh, I mean, for me, I think it's a great movie. Yeah. I do admit it has some problems. But for this type of movie to have come out in 96, 
Olympics. Like that came out at a time period where this movie changed some people's minds about how they felt about gay people. I mean, I would hope so. I don't know, like data wise, if that happened. I think pop culture has had a huge impact on on gay. I mean, I'm not an expert. I think I'm so just too. a white straight male. For sure. I mean, pop culture as a whole, absolutely. I do think what this movie does really well that may have had some of that impact is it really it doesn't necessarily play the fact that they are a gay family for comedy as much as it just plays aspects of their personalities as comedy yeah but it does play the conservative family for comedy a ton yeah so Mm -hmm. in a way the juxtaposition of the two really serves to humanize a gay family at a time when that was not Mm -hmm. considered the norm in pop culture yeah Although it was happening in life. Yeah, because it's been happening forever. A part, it's a part of life. Yeah. And so I think that is where it truly succeeds and has a, a cultural impact far reaching the movie itself. I would 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. Very happy with this is my choice for the month. I'm very excited for my choice. So y'all can suck <laughs> it. I mean, my brother's gay, not dead. <laughs> I'm done. Edit that out. Mikey, I'm leaving it in first off. And now you know why I chose over her dead body. <laughs> Paige checks out of the pod- podcast And I have a gay sister too I know you do Paige just can't empathize with us Because she's never had a gay sibling <laughs> So Yeah Paige I wish you would like Get a gay sibling And you could maybe fit on On this podcast I only like you know Marched for marriage equality Or whatever so that Paige but But is your sibling gay I mean let's talk about it <laughs> So We open on a Miami Beach drag club called The Birdcage. They're in their final number or kind of their penultimate number. Uh, We Are Family. Yeah. And I think what this is, is like they've got the group drag show with kind of their whole stable of queens. And then they have Starina's show after. Because Starina, I think, has like a whole thing with costume changes and a whole bunch of she stuff. has her name on the marquee she's like she is the draw of the drag show and she sings her own songs yes she does and everyone else is lip syncing you're right mm-hmm. have you ever been to a drag show mikey yes yeah it's like super common that they would like be lip syncing which is fine yeah but nathan lane actually sings her songs the big thing right now is for drag queens who can sing to sing live so i've seen a lot of that recently which just is like up in the difficulty of the game I have a killer falsetto, so if I was fishy at all when I wore drag, I would 100% do that. You know what? I mean, we're off track already. Controversial <laughs> statement. Imagine that, us <laughs> off track. I I do not think drag has to be fishy. I, I don't think drag is a monolith. I think drag is an artistry that can take many different forms, and the important thing is that it is you expressing your art inside yeah that's just my two cents i completely agree and i watch every season of rupaul's drag race the canadian season the all-star season and the regular season but like i personally would prefer it if i was a little bit more fishy when i was in drag have i showed you the picture right of me in drag oh i've seen it i've seen it it's not a pretty thing you need a better wig (laughs) that is fair and like a better face shape i would say just yeah 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 yeah. mikey this is the one time we actually agree mikey (laughs) (laughs) it's well it's it's all about makeup and learning your angles and learning to carve out the person within to have them reflect on the outside but imagine me in drag singing i believe in a thing called love like that is 
Yeah, I don't see why you're not doing it right now. Right. Yeah, I don't understand. I'll go get a dress. Yeah. Hang on. Anyway, so like if you haven't been to a drag show, go to a drag show. They're fun. And apparently Paige thinks they're up in the game. I will say that RuPaul's Drag Race is fun. There is nothing compared to seeing drag live. I agree. Drag should be seen live. Yeah. Go see live drag. It's super big right now. It so is. It, it makes total sense that they're one-upping each other. Does that make... Does, yeah. I mean, it's got to be competitive if I owned a drag club. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And drag kings, too. Like, go just see drag in general. Go see drag performances, king, queen, everything in between. It is always fun and a spectacle and support it. Go to see all of it. It's great. I saw a drag version of Beauty and the Beast in the Castro a couple years back. All right. We have got to stay on track. We are fucking 25 minutes into this recording. I know. I know. We literally have talked about the marquee. Although, let me just say this. This opening <laughs> shot is stellar. It is like a helicopter shot two crane shot that is frameless like you never see the transition but the transition happens because it goes from helicopter to crane shot to handheld shot as it walks through the ca- the cars and then into the club the first cut is after it shows the stage manager and he has his first line there is not one cut until then it's like a three minute shot it's amazing yeah how do they train the birds to carry the cameras like that you mean the Camera crane? cranes <laughs> yeah yeah I will say on top of <laughs> I like how we just shut it down but Paige and I were just like oh yeah because the word crane yeah we get it we're moving on <laughs> I was, I was, I, we're too good for puns <laughs> Mikey I think there's a shitload of evidence that proves we are not too good for puns yeah calm your tits truck of the Irish <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that this movie does really well the camera work in this movie is phenomenal phenomenal but the set dressing is even better because this is largely a single location film in part because it's based on a play and so it really is kind of functioning in that same way where we're seeing the stage we're seeing a couple like a handful of different places but it's mostly the club and their apartment above the club and all of the set dressing around it is cohesive both in color and style to the point where even when they're not in the club, you kind of still feel like you're in the club. It all kind of looks like it's the same mixture and it doesn't change until Barbara's family gets there and then it becomes this kind of brutalist plain nightmare. Yeah, it is very over the top at first though. Yeah. Absolutely. So as we move through the club, we see Armand, Robin Williams, walking through saying hi to everyone. We find out that there are Kennedys there and he gives them a free round of coffee and then walks by and says, leave room for coffee, (laughs) which is hilarious. It's because the waiter is like, do you want to pick up the check? And he goes, is it Ted? Like Ted Kennedy. And they're like, no, it's the younger ones. It would be Patrick Kennedy. And I know that because Patrick Kennedy was a representative from New Hampshire, I think. But he's the guy who ran his car at 3 a.m. into the barrier outside the federal Capitol building in D.C. because he was, like, high. Oh, geez. And I only know that now because he actually, like, retired from Congress and started, like, a uh, let's do better to help mental health and people with addiction and stuff. He's actually, like, done a lot of great stuff since then. But, like, Mm. that's the reason I know who it is. So it would have been him and his brother. Okay. Anyway, I I thought it was funny that he's like, I'm not going to pick up the tap. I'm going to give them coffee. But then he stops by the table to be like, leave room for coffee. (laughs) I did like that he was going to pick up Ted's check, but not his kids. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So he stops at his stage manager's uh, booth and asks him where Starina is. And he says she'll be down in five. Yeah. 
we watch as the performers on stage come off and jump out of one costume into another. And Agador, who is Hank Azaria, uh, comes down to the booth and says, Starina won't go on. She's still in her robe. Uh, so Armand, Robin Williams, sends him upstairs and says, I'm right behind you. And he walks up the stairs as well, but tells the stage manager to get another girl ready just in case. Yeah. So that they can swap her out if Starina's not going to go on tonight. Yeah. But it's like Starina's stand-in. Right. Because the show must go on. If I learned anything from our Shakespeare and Love episode, it's that. Right. But anyway, I think that's a plant, though, because he uses that later to get Starina's ass on stage. Yeah. Oh, I I think that Carmen always has to get ready and Carmen's never had to go on. Yeah. Carmen gets ready every night, never performs. Never perform. I'm not sure Carmen exists. (laughs) (laughs) Or is one of the other dancers in the other numbers and never ends up having to do Starina's numbers. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So they get up to Starina's dressing room and it's Nathan Lane being the best. Just shouting about how he won't go on. He he won't put on the stockings. I'm dead because Armand doesn't love me anymore. And it's these. And I'm middle aged and I'm fat and I'm ugly. Yes. And I, I, Nathan Lane is amazing in this movie. At any point that he is on camera, he is never not doing something, which yeah. is my favorite because, like, <laughs> even just sitting still in scenes, he's hilarious. But. Armand gets upstairs and he and Armand are talking about how he's like, you don't love me anymore. You don't care about my feelings. You just want me for the show. And this is the first time they bring up the palimony agreement. Yes. Armand is like, well, I don't have it right this second. Is tomorrow okay? Like, you know, what is this about? What is this tantrum about? Yeah. And this is when he drops the, well, I can get Carmen ready to go on. No, no, the show must go on. And at this point, <laughs> if they came to see Starina, they will have Starina. Have Starina. But essentially, it's this idea of like, I'm doing it for them, not for you. Yeah, no, that is 100% what it is. Uh, and Agador gives her two what uh, what he calls Purin tablets. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you taking? Uh, and <laughs> this is, I love this. We get this whole lecture of like, I have, you know, I've yo-yoed in weight and I don't get any validation or encouragement. And if it weren't for the tablets, I wouldn't go on at all. And I, all of it is because he found out that he was chilling white wine and they only drink red. And he's like, well, red has tannins. I've been switching to white. And he's like, I don't believe you. What do you do while I'm on stage? I have a question. <laughs> what is tannins? Tannins are um, essentially a, a measure of dryness in wine. Um they're usually associated with red wine. They're the opposite of the sweetness found in white wines. They're not a good or a bad thing. It doesn't matter. Oh, it's just an all wine. That's the joke. Y- yeah. Well, God, I mean, I'm such an uncultured swine. Mikey, yeah. you're on the record as going to a place because they had alcoholic snow cones. No one was wondering whether you were cultured or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get blue coconut tomorrow. <laughs> When he goes back. Can you get a virgin Ooh. snow cone at this place? Probably. I would assume so, right? Because they can make snow cones? Because I honestly feel like you should take me, Mikey. Or would we actually go in the restaurant because this is a full-ass relationship? That restaurant's expensive. We probably wouldn't go. I mean, the company I'll pay for it. It's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> it looks a little bougie. I think we would have more fun like a Chewy's. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, you know how I get at Chewy's. Handsy. Yeah, you're going to have to like lick Todd's whole face. Yeah, like he does at the nacho <laughs> bar. So we cut to the stage. They announce Starina. She does go on. She starts off doing her comedy. And it's like stand-up comedy, which if you go see live drag, there's a bunch of different types of live drag. Sometimes you'll see lip syncing. Sometimes you will see full-blown stand-up comedy within a drag character. So it's almost like you're seeing comedy as that character kind of lives and breathes in that moment. Um, That's some of my favorite. Uh, But that's kind of, it seems like it's a combination of the two, which is great. So we cut back to Hank Azaria is still cleaning up the kitchen. Armand goes back upstairs and is like, hey, first of all, what are those tablets? What are you giving him? And he just says, Oh, it's just aspirin. I scrape off the A and the S from the pills. So it says period. It's so funny. Yeah. Because Nathan Lane's character is like so sure that that's the only thing that gets her through anymore. Right, 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 right. it's just aspirin. It's just aspirin. Yeah. So he has Agador take the white wine out of the fridge and chill it with glasses um, because he is going to see somebody while Albert's on stage and... At this point, we get a little bit of Agador talking about, like, when are you going to let me audition again? You can't handle the heat. It's- well, it's because he walks in on Agador, like, yes. with a red wig on, dancing and singing to, I think it's a Madonna song. I might not be right no, about it's, that. No, but- it's Gloria Stefan. Oh, that's dude. right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I like Agador as, like, I'm a combination of Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, it's horrific. You look like a monster or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Agador is like. Well, when are you going to let me try out for you again and he goes when are you gonna get some talent he's sort of mean to him i felt bad a little bit but then we find out later that like he can't wear shoes so if you can't (laughs) wear shoes you're gonna have to wear like if he can't wear loafers there's no way he's dancing in heels right well i I think they're dress shoes but but the that what he says in the movie is that all shoes make him fall over which is the, a never nude level of problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it is. So he then kind of questions like, okay, who are we pulling the wine out for? And as they're pulling it out, a young man arrives and we do find out that this is Robin Williams' son, Val. But at first they and, really do play it yeah, like, I mean, like he might yeah. not be, like it might be a lover. Right. Especially when he's like, oh, you got your hair cut. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you like think about it, like, think back on it. You're like, oh, I guess that's sort of appropriate for a dad to do for, like, a 20-year-old son. It is. They just played into that joke a little they too They really hard. do. They lean into it. Yeah. Well, and having seen the movie before and knowing, to me, it seems all dad. But the first time you're watching it fully, you're not sure until they get into the conversation of why he's there. And he's there to tell them that he's getting married because he didn't want to do it over the phone. And Robin Williams' character, Armand, is upset because he's young. Not that he's getting married and not that it's a girl. None of that. He's upset because he's young and he just doesn't think he's ready for that in his life. He's also probably right about that. Yeah. I got married at 25 and I wasn't ready for it. I mean, some people are just... Re- My parents got married at 21 and 23. Yeah. That's true. I mean, they were born into a different economy and that does sort of help because like one of the biggest reasons for relationship troubles is monetary reasons. So I get that. But I mean, there are people from my generation who got married earlier than I did who were still together. Like some of my best friends are almost going to celebrate their 15 year anniversary, I think, this year. My parents were also high school streethearts and they divorced for way non-monetary reasons. Well, that also happens. (laughs) So he he thinks his son is too young. Now, I will say at 20, he's probably 
probably not done with college. He probably doesn't have like a career career yet. So I understand the caution there. Well, he's also sure. marrying a high school senior. Yeah, dude. Oh, well, <laughs> actually, no, he does say that he met her at school. Yeah, so. I think she'd be like a freshman. Yeah, she's a college freshman. Yeah, she was like like visiting campus for a weekend. <laughs> No, she's a college freshman, I would say. It's implied. There are college freshmen who are eight, 17, 18. So like, they've only been together for like six months. Yeah. No, a year. She says a year. So if they were together a year, she was 17. Yeah, she was 17. She says it in the very first scene you see her in that they started having sex when she was 17 and he was 19. That's right. They do say that. And now she's 18 and he's 20. Yeah. So he basically talks his dad into it and eventually Armand is like if this is what you want I am happy for you like stay with us for a little while what's her name and he says it's Barbara and then we cut to Barbara's family and they're like you're not even 18 yet which means she's still 17 allegedly but then later in the movie they say she's 18 so I'm gonna guess she's 18 question mark she is they started dating when she was 17 they've been dating for a year she's 18 he's 20 well, but in this scene, they say you're not even 18. I don't know about that, though, because this movie takes place over 48 hours. They don't celebrate her birthday. So, like, she's 18 at the end of the movie. They say she's 18. I, they always do. I don't know why, why there's a discrepancy between what they say here, because they do say in this scene... You're not even 18 yet, which is weird. It's not great. Unless she's like barely 18, like she just turned 18 and they're like, you're not even really 18 yet. Then Val needs to, he just needs to get it together, man. Like that's. I mean, it's. it's what is marriage know. doing for your six month or year long relationship with a high school, barely 18 year old? I have no idea, but they've been sleeping together for a year. And uh, has he been tested? Yes. So have I. And her father, we find out, is a senator and he's up for election. And. He wants them to wait until after to get married. Uh, but she basically talks up Val's family as saying like his father works in the arts. He's on the Council of Cultural Arts. Now, this is a deep cut, but her senator dad then says not those people that funded the Maplethorpe exhibit. Are either of you familiar with Maplethorpe photos? I am not. No, I, I am. Google that shit. Okay. Can I just describe to you what I'm looking at? Yeah, yeah. There's a picture of a man urinating into another man's mouth. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, there, it's like... Yeah, Maplethorpe was real intense. So thanks for bringing that into my life. You're welcome. <laughs> Big black and white pictures of dicks and just naked butts and balls and everything in between. Oh, I'm sorry, Todd. Are you... Uh pissed off <laughs> <laughs> now if if you didn't know that's what it was that joke goes over your head but essentially that's her father being like okay yeah uh not those people right like not the people that did the pee photos right like that not that kind of art and she goes, no, 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 no. He's a cultural attache to Greece and his mother's a housewife. Which is like setting them up for failure immediately. Yeah. And it sounded like it was something they had kind of agreed upon ahead of time, maybe. Oh, you mean Val and Calissa Flockhart? That she was going to lie. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. So she, the phone rings on the desk. She grabs it and it's Val. She tells Val that she told them and that they're very excited to meet his family and basically as she's doing it her parents are like wait a second you said they were in Greece how are you calling them right now how is he with them you saw him this afternoon things don't add up 
Her story's already falling apart. And so she kind of quickly hangs up the phone. Yeah. We find out that they were listening in on the conversation. Well, Gene Hackman was, yeah. Gene Hackman was. So now she has to kind of cover, and she's like, no, they have a vacation house in South Beach. It's close to where near, near where Jeb Bush lives. So as that's happening on the conservative family side, back in South Beach, Albert comes off stage after finishing the headlining set of Starina and guns ablazing. Just who is he? Well, because and he sees the white wine. He sees the white wine. Yeah. And Armand is like, it's our son. He's sleeping in his room, you know. Go see him. <laughs> go see him. <laughs> yeah. And he does. Albert goes in and he does all the very sweet mom stuff of like ruffling his hair, gathering up his clothes. Yeah, his dirty clothes. <laughs> like she's going to do his laundry. Yeah, I loved it. So we cut to Albert the next morning at the farmer's market and he's like buying a cake and getting like a roast and all the stuff to basically like my son is home. I'm going to cook this huge thing. He keeps referring to him as Piglet. My Piglet. Piglet. It's so cute. It is cute. My, my Piglet's home. So we cut back to the house where Agador is making coffee, but it's Turkish coffee. And so Armand is like, this is sludge. This is terrible. Like, what are you making? Um, but this is where he basically tells Albert that the reason that Val is there is because Val is getting married to a girl that he met at school. I love Nathan Lane's reaction to this because it's like, no, he's not. And then he's Nathan starts talking <laughs> yeah. about something else. And then he's like, wait, what did you just say? Like, it was immediately <laughs> dismissive. And then, oh, wait, what? I loved it. It was so funny. Yep. My favorite is that he starts this line of like, but if you're 20 and you throw yourself away on some dormitory slut and just like trails. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's like after he was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And then he says that about the dormitory yes. slut. And then he goes there. I've said it. We can move on. Like, <laughs> Which is just like mothers. Can we talk about this? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I didn't get married till much later, so I never had this oh, conversation with But you with know, parents. your mom's going to be like, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, you have your life and you make your choices. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And I'm not going to say anything. And then like 10 minutes later, they're going to they're gonna say it. They're going to say exactly what they're not trying to say. This is where my mom is different and it's almost worse because she won't say anything. She'll just look at you and you'll know she's disappointed. <laughs> hey, side note, I can't wait to have dinner with your family when they're hearing oh, I know. Because I... I am 80% sure 20 minutes into that conversation I have with your mom, I'm going to get that look from her. <laughs> and then I'm in the family. And then to get out of it, you'll just be like, did I mention Paige wants Henry Cavill to spit on her? Now the attention's back on her, like away from me. Paige, she knows already. I mean, she probably didn't hear the episode, but she knows. No, she listens. She listens, but I'm sure it wasn't a surprise. My favorite is he, he's not going to say anything. He says what you think is going to be the like dormitory slut. And then he follows it up with our baby's going to leave us and we won't have any others yeah. and not without Armand a miracle, is, not a miracle. <laughs> then we cut to the senator's house where he and his wife are watching him on kind of what's it, almost like a um, it's almost like crossfire do you remember crossfire yes that's that's exactly the show i was yeah. i was trying to think of it is crossfire yeah where they're just yelling and my favorite is they're like it's a wonderful show the most intelligent show on television and they're just like screaming at each other it literally is four people talking over each other <laughs> yes. 100% of the time which is honestly 75% of this show yeah that's just, true. It's yeah. just three <laughs> instead of four yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he also claims that Bob Dole is too liberal. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which, honestly, Bob Dole was more centrist than this senator is, I'm sure. Yeah, well, uh, my dad ran into him in the airport one time and was like, oh, are you going right or left? Like, And they, like, talked for a second, and he just went... Go left, son. That's where the country's going. <laughs> I was just like, what a, what a weird thing to say to strangers. No, <laughs> oh, that makes perfect. That's completely on brand. By the way, that was 96 <laughs> when he ran for president. Okay, so it would have been this around movie. this time. Thing I remember, didn't he have like, uh, he had, had, was missing an appendage, correct? What? No, he wasn't missing an appendage. He had a, a war injury that messed up one of his arms and he couldn't use it 100%. That's why he always held a pen. I can't remember if it was left his left or right arm, but yes, it was from like a war injury. As a kid, that's all I remember about Bob Dole. I just remember not understanding that he and Dole, like the fruit company, weren't the same. <laughs> Kids are so stupid. I know, man. Um, my, my favorite is also, as they're at the table, he's recording notes for what I assume is either his biography or a book that he's writing. And into the notes, he just says, yeah, on page 25, that's porno, not pronto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're talking and they're like, well, maybe Val is old money. And that's like, maybe that's how this works. That's how they met. Because I feel like they can't fathom that she would find somebody not moneyed attractive. And he's he doesn't have no money either. You know, like his dad's a business owner or whatever, but just not the money they're thinking of. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Robin, like they run a very successful club. I'm sure they're doing fine. Yeah. As they're talking, he gets a call that his campaign manager has got to talk to him and this is where they find out that his co-founder of the Coalition for Moral Whatever is dead. And this phone call is hilarious because he's like, dead, died in bed. Whose bed? A sex worker? Minor? Black? Oh, no. <laughs> like, it's just like it gets <laughs> worse and worse and worse for him where he's the the absolute worst thing is the fact that he was a that he's dead. But B, that it was in bed with an underage sex worker of color. It was like all of the things that could go wrong in his eyes. It is so funny. And the way they keep like <laughs> hammering it home, like when they're watching that news story on Inside Edition that or whatever. That is my favorite yes. part of this movie. She's already being interviewed 10 minutes later. Yeah, And the sex worker is like. I don't know. I didn't think anything was wrong. He had a funny look on his face, but he was smiling, so I didn't stop. That's literally one scene from now. So, like, yeah. <laughs> they, we, we cut back to Albert, and we have this juxtaposition of Albert is looking through Val's baby books and crying, yeah. you know, like any parent would do, you know? Oh, it's over the top, but I love it. I love Nathan Lane love, so much. He he loves him so much. Yes. that And, like, that's the important part. It's his baby boy. It's his baby boy. Yeah. But then we cut back and we cut to that news story. And the quote is, he looked kind of funny, but he was smiling. So I didn't worry. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that's the quote. Dude, when they touch on it later and like where he tells the sex worker the money is, that whole thing. Like later on. Oh, Paige, I can tell by your face that you don't remember this. 
like later, I'm not sure if it's like on the radio as they're driving down to Florida or anyway, it comes up that at the end of it, when that senator who was who died in bed with that sex worker uh-huh. did fit, he got to completion and then said, I don't even want to say it. He said, the money's on the dresser, chocolate. Yes. Uh. Oh, no, okay, I do. Yes. It was so bad. <laughs> like it's it just progressively gets worse and worse and worse. Like you don't think it could be worse when Gene Hackman has that phone call and then you see the sex worker on Inside Edition and it gets worse. And then you hear that quote and it's so much worse. It's so funny. It just keeps amping up. My favorite is in this very next scene. So we cut back to Barb's house and they're swarmed by paparazzi. And so they're kind of trying to like pack up around the house and like hide things. But they're also like getting Gene Hackman out in and out of that back window by ladder so he can get out in and out of the house. (laughs) And she's trying to tell her mom about Val's parents and trying to tell. I I think she wants to tell the truth. Um, And. Her mom is just like, well, they can't blame us for for this scandal. This wasn't our fault. He was a common redneck and we didn't associate with him socially. And you're just like, clearly you were best friends. (laughs) (laughs) And and you like founded that moral coalition together. But she's just like common redneck. (laughs) Didn't know. (laughs) So Gene Hackman climbs through the window and the three of them, without listening to what Barb has to say, decide that the solution is like a big, white, pure, pristine wedding. Yeah, the only thing that can fix this scandal is a white wedding. White wedding. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And they do at one point say uh, love and optimism versus cynicism and sex. We could get the Pope's blessing, but he's too controversial. (laughs) So... This is where she tells them that his dad's name is Armand Coleman, not Goldman, because we do know they are Jewish. Yes. Coleman, because it sounds more white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Not Jewish, really, is what they care about. That's why they debate the D the whole time through the movie is because the D would make it a Jewish last name. Yeah. Uh, So they decide that they're going to go to dinner with his family and then spend the night with the Bushes. Uh, the family. Right. With Jeb Bush um, specifically. What a sleepover. Jeb! <laughs> exclamation point. Please clap. Please clap! <laughs> the phrase that ended a political campaign or a presidential oh. campaign. When, he, when his campaign catchphrase was just his name and an exclamation point. Jeb! Jeb! I lost my mind because I was like, first of all, Jeb is a crazy name. Yeah, like, that's it is. such a weird name it sounds like a soft drink it does like a diet soft drink yeah drink jeb drink jeb <laughs> or zero calorie diet jeb diet jeb Jeb zero jeb zero is great get over here and it's just a can <laughs> of jeb zero uh so we cut to albert is rehearsing his new number and fairy dust fairy dust fairy dust and his dance partner is like not in it to win it and smacking gum the whole time and like grabbing himself and just being a little obscene and it's offending nathan lane yes and he says well he keeps chewing gum it helps me think then you're wasting your gum dude all the many callbacks to the gum in this one scene are hilarious oh my gosh it's so funny so the other dancers being a problem yeah and Armand kind of has to break it up and he's trying to explain to the dancer the the theme of this number. <laughs> and and it makes not a ton of sense, 
but that's okay. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. It makes a mild amount of sense. I will meet you in the middle and say, yes, it makes a mild amount of sense. That is fair. <laughs> but, but it is like Nathan Lane's character in the song created his fantasy or her fantasy because he's in drag, right? And right. that fantasy comes to life and sees Nathan Lane in drag and is like, well, yeah. you're my fantasy. And then they fall deeply in love. Like, it's a very basic story. I love uh, drag ludicrous. <laughs> What's your fantasy? <laughs> I did it <laughs> You made a music joke I do love that the dancer who was like chewing gum Because it helps him think Then says I don't get it And then Nathan Lane in the back goes Chew more gum Yeah that's my favorite It's <laughs> so good Nathan Lane is so good in this movie But also as Ludacris said Whips and chains, handcuffs Smack a little booty up with my belt Scream help, say my Okay what's your fan Do you not know what's your fantasy? That song fucking slaps i prefer chris bridges work on law and order svu that is those episodes are great that sounds like a joke but like if you haven't seen those episodes they're great that's when i realized he could really act yeah he's got like a full <laughs> arc on svu he's amazing and it's funny though because ice t also a rapper is a series regular and chris bridges acts a fool around that guy like he is so much better than ice t <laughs> Do you think he didn't learn in the Fast and Furious franchise films? <laughs> he had the support of his family. family. Uh, but also, What's Your Fantasy is a fucking classic, and I can't believe you do not know this song. I don't know its lyrics. I've heard the song. I'll be honest with you, though, guys. If we do the next Fast and Furious movie for one of our podcasts and one of them dies in a truck, I'm going to be very triggered. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we would do it. That doesn't fit for either. We were going to do Bromance Month on Romance in the Pod. The only way we would... Well, first, I don't think the original Fast and Furious is a bromance. I, I will stand by that statement. I will say that I would do the Fast and Furious franchise as a spinoff podcast. I don't have that kind of time, Mikey. <laughs> well, it'd be a miniseries. There's only 12. I, I already have not slept since the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are the things that I would love to do if we didn't have day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I'd podcast from my pool. If I'm super rich and not working. Yeah, sure. If you want to, I don't give a shit. No, just don't get the equipment you wet. You cannot podcast from your pool from just like the electrocution. Oh my God. You sound like my grandmother saying we can't go to the moon or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so Val asks Armand to go upstairs. They go upstairs and he basically tells him that Barbara's family is coming for dinner tomorrow, but they're going to have to pretend to be essentially a straight conservative family for that dinner and i really do like the way robin williams in this section is basically like no i don't want to lie about who i am i told you maybe to say that i was a businessman when you were young because you were younger and the world was different i didn't want you to get hurt but now you're an adult and no he basically is like i know who i am and I won't let them destroy that. He also says he fought for 20 years to get to where he is. And he doesn't yeah. plan on hiding that. And man, I get that. Like, yeah, I mean, I haven't fought that fight, but like that would be hard. Like, I understand that he loves his son a lot. So he agrees to do it. But man, I don't think I would have done that. He shouldn't have to. I completely agree. And we've talked about how Val is the villain yeah. of this. But I definitely do understand the impulse because he loves his son and he wants to make his son happy to acquiesce to this request. But I don't think I would have done it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so either. So we cut back to the senator's house where a paparazzi has paid off their driver to find out where they're going and finds out they're going to South Beach. 
It's, it's the National Enquirer. Yeah, we find out later it's the National Enquirer. What we do over here in this section is, uh, I think it's TV that just says, like, Late Night with Jay Leno. And it's basically, uh, his guests are Yasser Arafat and, and Kate, Kate Moss. Moss. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it was pretty great. So he goes to climb out the window so that he can get to the chauffeur, but there's already a crowd of paparazzi, so he ends up climbing back in. I do love that he's crawling out the window and Callista Flockhart comes in and she thinks he's jumping out the window like he's going to like... They they both do. His wife thinks he's jumping and then Callista thinks he's going to jump, but no, he's just climbing. He's like, no, there's a ladder here or whatever. And he actually does have to talk to the press because they catch him as he's coming That's down that ladder. That's so funny. And he has to give them a yeah. statement from the ladder, like trying to look as much like that's a normal thing as possible. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Gene yeah. Hackman, I think, has a ridiculous character to play, but I think he crushes it too. I think he does a great job in this movie. Gene yep. Hackman's a great actor. He really is. So we cut to Armand is basically talking to Agador about like what is he going to do, and they decide to redo the apartment and get rid of everything, quote, over the top, which is everything in the apartment. It literally is, yes. 100% yep. of the things in the apartment. Oh, it's so good. Well, and he tells <laughs> Agador that he'll have to wear a uniform, and there is a don't ask, don't tell joke in there, yes, there because is. it was still in place at the time. Yeah. And they decide that they'll get Albert out of the house in the morning so he can stay away for a few days and just be out of the way. Uh, but as Val is kind of like, thanks for doing this, this scene made me cry. It breaks my heart because he just says, do me a favor and don't talk to me for a while. Yeah. because Which is brutal, but it's basically like, I am hurt that you are making me do this. I'm doing this for you because I love you. But don't talk to me for a while. <laughs> like, I don't feel good about it. I mean, I sort of get it, though. He's like, I'm going to need a minute to process what you're asking me to do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we cut to the senator and his family are driving and the paparazzi are following them on their drive to South Beach. Yeah. We cut to the next day. Armand and Albert are on the beach and he's trying to convince Albert to take a few days off <laughs> because you look tired. <laughs> Which is the worst thing to say to anyone. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's bad. I mean, they have ulterior motives. Like, I understand why they're saying it. But like this begins the section of the movie where they are just shitting on Albert for like 45 minutes. And I feel terrible for him. Yes. Well, and we cut back into the apartment. They're packing the statues. And my favorite is they, <laughs> they put Playboys in the bathroom. They get that, that mounted moose head. And it's just the don't add, just subtract. Yeah. <laughs> and we see Hank Azaria's character, Agador, being fitted for a uniform. But we cut back out to Albert and... Armand and Armand is just doing anything he can to keep Albert away from the apartment it's the like I'll buy you anything you want well like I don't want to go shopping right now you know oh my ankle let's just go straight to the emergency room the whole ankle thing was hilarious to me because <laughs> Albert is like walk is close to walking inside and Robin mm -hmm. Williams just out of nowhere goes ah like <laughs> yes and you can see he didn't hurt himself yeah 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 I just thought it was hilarious well, my favorite is when Albert walks into the apartment because they do finally get to the apartment yes. and he screams, we've been robbed and the apartment <laughs> is empty. Yeah. Like, like not just things of value, knickknacks, clothes, like <laughs> knickknacks, 
Patty wax. All the dogs didn't have bones. Give Armand a bone. Well, they can't because the bed is gone. So like, <laughs> but it's, it's things that people wouldn't steal are gone. It's it's they've completely cleared the place out. Uh, and Val says, well, they'll be back. Like everything will be back to normal by the time you get back. And he's like, well, where am I going? Why am I going? And they reveal that the dinner with her parents is that night. And they thought it'd be better if he wasn't there. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking. Super painful. Yeah. It is heartbreaking. He is one of Val's parents. It's his mom. I mean, yeah. Albert raised him since he was a baby. I think it's fine to refer to Albert as the mom. That's what Val refers to him as. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so it's so mean and so painful what they do. I think Val's a sociopath. I mean... I don't like him in this movie because he doesn't seem to care about anyone else's feelings. That's what I mean. Like, he does not see his quote-unquote mom, Albert, as a person with feelings. Yeah. It's real sad. I mean, he does later in the movie, so I guess he's not a sociopath. But, like, it is a solid movie time of, like, 48 hours where he's treating her like shit. Yeah, terrible. And Albert basically takes, basically, their toothbrush and leaves and he literally walks out armand follows him and he just says like my heart is breaking and armand is like well you can stay he says i don't want to stay where i'm not wanted and he has like a panic attack at the restaurant but this is where armand basically sits down and is like this is not because you're unwanted or unloved this is because her parents are assholes right that doesn't make it okay no it doesn't it doesn't make it okay no. If her parents are assholes, you tell them they're assholes and they're not invited to shit because they're assholes. Or they're, they're not they're not invited unless they're going to be kind. Yeah. Like that that's how it works. And I mean, hey, they should show up to that dinner and get the real what everything is. Everybody at their most real and not a lie no absolutely and if they can hang great and if not then we set some boundaries for when we hang out with them if we choose to yeah so they take a seat at the restaurant they order the usual because it's literally like on the corner where their club is so they clearly they go there all the time yeah and the deal that he makes is that albert can be the uncle they'll pretend that he's an uncle so he can at least be there to meet the parents. Yeah. But they want him to try and code himself as straight. Oof. And he is not good at it because it's not who he is. And it's also straight stereotypes. It's not like, you know, it's a whole spectrum of what people could be. Right. But he's trying to pretend to be something that's not him. Uh, and it's even down to like trying to butter toast or walk and he does do what's kind of hilarious is a pretty convincing John Wayne walk yeah, yeah. but it's <laughs> he does. but it but it's like a T-Rex jazz grapevine kind of and he gets back to the table he's like was it bad and Armand is like no I just never realized that he walked like that like it was perfect <laughs> I don't know why but every time someone in this scene said pierced toast I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, I've pierced the toast. <laughs> so I don't know why that was funny to me, but it just made me laugh every time. We cut back to the senator and we see that they are literally trying to lose the paparazzi following them. Yeah, like swerving off an exit ramp and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. But they follow him because the National Enquirer don't quit, baby. And we cut back to the restaurant where he's 
like how about them dolphins and then trying to shake hands and it's just not working but in the process they end up getting in a fight with another restaurant patron yeah and my favorite is that armand who has been the one coaching albert on how to be straight he tries to step up to this guy and is like tough gazongas and i'm like that's not a thing that anyone ever says and the guy at the table stands and is much taller than they anticipated. Like a foot taller. We cut back to the apartment and Albert is basically putting ice on Armand's head and just says, he looked so ridiculous when he sat on you and banged your head on the ground. He didn't even know how to box. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. So, so funny. And as they're kind of sitting there recovering from a very emotionally eventful morning. Oh, yeah. We see Agador watering the plants and cleaning like the patio in a thong and Val is like could we hire a straight maid for tonight and he's just like no like first of all what do you think this is secondly there are no straight maids in South Beach is what he says (laughs) and on top of that Albert is staying he's gonna be an uncle so that he can be here right and they he basically argues well like well then we need a woman as a mother to pull that off. Yeah, who can sell that you're actually married or, you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he says, well, why don't I just ask your mother? And so they decide that they're going to call his, the birth mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the birth mom, the woman who who carried him, I would say. But has not ever met him. Right. Never met him. Like when they meet in this, I guess they meet on the phone technically first, but when she walks in and he does the reveal, Val does the reveal, he mm-hmm. shakes her hand. Yeah. Like they don't know each other. They don't know each other. And but it's not in a not in a traumatic way, I would say. I, I would think it's just more of it it would almost be like she was he was adopted. I mean he is. No, I mean Absolutely. I, yeah. Armand is his his biological father, but that's kind of the scenario in which it is where he doesn't have any real emotional ties to her. She's never been there. Although what we find out is she's just lived like down the street. And he, or not down the street, on the other side of town. Yeah. And he's known this the whole time. So, like, it's not a secret they've kept from him. She's just a person that hasn't been a huge part of his life. Yeah. But she does agree to see them. And so uh, Armand and Albert go to her office and he leaves Albert in the waiting room. He goes in. They have a conversation. She's between husbands right now. (laughs) And we find out that they met doing a play. 20 or some odd years ago. Yep, 21. 21, probably, yeah. If the math is correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she she does say, the money you gave me helped start this place. And he says, and we got Val for it. So what I suspect happened, because we do reveal that they did at one point have sex. Yeah. Like a, a one drunken night. I think... She got pregnant and they negotiated a settlement for him and Albert to Mm. have custody of Val. Yeah. She got the money and went on with her life and then they raised Val and they became a family or they were a family, added Val to their family. Yes. So, but it's pretty clear. I don't know if she's still attracted to him or just very handsy. Both, maybe both. I think it's a little column A, a little column B for sure. Because she's a little all over him, and Albert bursts in as she has her hand down his shirt. Yeah. Well, they were, like, doing the dance that they did, or whatever, 20, 21 years ago. 
they're on the couch and she's like running her fingers through his chest hair. Oh, sorry. That's right. I had in my mind yeah. that they were still doing mm-hmm. the dance. I forgot that they like snuggle up on the sofa. She was like unbuttoning his shirt. She's still digging the vibe that Armand is putting out. Yeah, she's yeah, like yeah. your Which, type, Todd, because she's like into hairy dudes. Yeah. Same though. Yeah. Because you guys don't know this, but Todd has a lot of layers, but his first layer is natural. It's just fur. <laughs> yeah, my first layer is straight up fur. I mean, I can't throw any stones. Like, you've seen my type? It is the Witcher plus hair. Honestly, Paige, your type is like attractive me. Like, if I was attractive. Bigger you. That's what I mean. <laughs> You're Captain America before he takes the super serum and Jake yes. is after. Dude, I, you don't have any idea how close you are to the truth. Like, you, I don't think you knew me at my skinniest. <laughs> like, this is me bulked up, Mike. I'm jealous of your, you can grow good facial hair. I can't grow good facial hair. No, you grow not good facial hair. It's like patchy. Uh, yeah, I know it's patchy. But I also grow hair where no man should have hair. And the inside of your forearms? No, the tops of my feet. <laughs> oh, 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 I thought that was your. I thought that was your stepdad's thing. <laughs> no, he's not my stepdad anymore. I know because of what he did to your feet. Well, no, actually, my mom stayed married to him for like seven years after that. Actually, that's Jeez. terrible and terrifying, and I'm sorry you went through that trauma. Now I feel like a dick. But <laughs> Hobbit feet are a natural phenomenon, Todd. They are in Middle Earth. I did 23 and me, and it's because I'm like four percent Neanderthal. <laughs> That's a big percentage. It's also why I don't have a hairy back. Like, you can, like, look at that, and it'll tell you, like, why you have certain things. It's actually really cool. That's like Jake's back isn't really all that hairy. Shoulders a little bit. Yeah, it's probably because he's got some Neanderthal in him. Yeah, he does. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Albert stomps out and gets into their car and accidentally hits the horn and screams (laughs) and... Gets me every time. Uh, We cut back to the apartment where Armand has already gotten back to the house and Albert literally gets there right around the same time. And Albert at this point is like, well, I'm only here to get my toothbrush. And he says to Val, I would have loved to see your children. (laughs) And Armand tells him that he should take the giant cross that they've put up with him because it's the prop for martyrs. Yes, (laughs) I love that line so much. Very underhanded and wonderful. He's yeah. so funny. But this is where he says that he's going to go to Las Copa, the cemetery. Yeah. And uh, the, he also says, cemetery with a toothbrush. How Egyptian. <laughs> Which is also very funny. So It's a very well-written movie. And I wonder how much of it was like ad-libbed on the day. I have notes. Most of it's written. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, it's really witty. His yeah. character makes the classic Mikey mistake of never make a joke during a fight. <laughs> oh, but that's all he does, Mikey. I, I know, but like, I watch that. I'm like, man, it's so hard to learn this lesson, but your life will be so much easier when you do. If you just shut up and you're like, don't just don't be sarcastic and just don't make a joke and you, you'll be going to be fine. You're going to get out of this. Mike, you ought to be honest with you. I ruined a lot of pretty decent relationships that way. Well, sometimes jokes are like sitting there and they're really funny. And like, you're like, okay, I really want to say this. And it's like, like your eyes twitching, but you know that there'll be like devastating emotional consequences to your relationship. Yeah. So like once I developed the maturity to just like, Save that for a, I'll like call Chris later and tell him the joke that I wanted to say in context of what was going on, uh-huh, uh-huh. but I don't say it to her. That's when relationships started to work better for yeah, me. Yeah, no, no, no. I get it. It was like a, it was like an eight year lesson. Yeah. But also Good stories though. they weren't going to work. I mean, but also if you find your person and end up, end up with them forever, you get to make those jokes and that's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to go cry. You should. So Albert leaves 
And they tell Agador to start cooking dinner. And he's like, you can cook, right? <laughs> and he says to Val, your father seems to think so. <laughs> <laughs> so Armand finds Albert at the bus stop. And he basically tells him, there's a better cemetery. I already bought plots. And now I'm going to have to buy plots at the cemetery you're going to so that I can be next to you so I never miss a laugh. And it's very sad and sweet this is that scene where i cry in it's so good and robin williams does some like heavy emotional work here and so does nathan lane but like yeah you just don't expect it as much from robin williams i think yeah well and this is also where they introduce he he has the palimony agreement and we find out that the club and everything has been in albert's name the whole time to basically so if armand passed albert would have it so the palimony agreement in reality is almost a better deal for armand But they sign it and it's basically like, hey, we own these things together. This is something we've worked on. And it kind of solidifies legally a relationship that I think has been solidified for years. So they own half each other's lives now. Yeah. And he does say, there's only one place I call home and it's because you're there. Yeah, that's the line that gets me, man. It's so sweet. I just love it. That is very sweet. I cried all the way through it. So cut to Catherine's office, the mom, and they call her and basically tell her not to come. Uh, But this is where you overhear the radio of what he said to that sex worker when giving her the money. Yeah. (laughs) It is rough. But it is like that trope of, you know, the preacher who like, hates gay people and then get, gets caught with like a gay sex worker or, you know, it's like that sort of thing, It, which is why I think it's so funny because there's a lot of humor and hypocrisy like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they keep basically just telling themselves they're like, well, the Coleman's are perfect. This it's almost like this family will clear up all of our family's ills. Oh, yeah. But they don't know that they're fully just like gaslighting themselves into believing that they're going to save them. They're just projecting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. projecting exactly. it. So we cut back to the apartment and Armand and Albert have come back and they're now both getting dressed in suits and Armand dresses in a suit and he just says I look like my grandfather he dressed like this in every picture and killed himself at 30 which is yikes that's young yeah that's young and that's sad and and I think it reflects how he feels in that suit where he's like this is not me this is not my happy place regardless Albert puts on a suit as well and has seriously like obviously practiced to try and appear, you know, coded as straight. And it's just not selling it. He basically says, I just wanted to help you and you hate me. You both hate me. And he basically runs and locks himself in his bedroom to cry because it's a, an incredibly hurtful situation. It is so hurtful. It's so sad. That's like if we did like a podcast meetup and we're like, Todd, we need you to change everything about yourself. I feel like that's every episode. Like, you're like, Todd's voice is ridiculous. Todd, shave the top of your feet. Todd, why why is your brother dead? Like, yeah, I feel like that's every episode. Paige likes magicians, and we're going to, you know, make that a bad thing. (laughs) It's not a bad thing. So, meanwhile, Albert's in the bedroom. They get a call from Catherine, who's like, hey, I got a message saying that I shouldn't come. Should I, like, what's going on? And instead, they're like, you should come. And this is the first time she gets to talk to Val because she's never met him. And she just says, I want you to know how happy I am. I can do this for you. I can't wait to meet you. But it's very it's they don't know each other. They're strangers. It's very just kind of friendly. But yeah. Yeah. So 
we cut to she's going to be there in half an hour and they basically just start prepping for dinner and Armand just says this is hell and there's a crucifix in it (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile the senator and his family have arrived and she's still kind of lying about like oh yeah it was all sand when they bought here and the neighborhood just kind of grew up around them (laughs) well that's because they're like stuck in traffic and people are like roller skating and walking by them wearing like thongs (laughs) and like very skimpy bikinis and stuff and they thought it was gonna be like a very conservative area Mm -hmm. we cut to back in the apartment Hank is area Agador goes to answer the door and like doesn't just face plant but like throws himself onto the rug but you can see it's he's slipping because he's wearing the loafers now yes I'm not gonna make fun of him because I'm I don't know if you guys know this I'm a bit of a clumsy person Mikey we do know that we we know this you've broken like four mic stands yes uh, and I do sometimes <laughs> trip and fall all the way down just by wearing shoes. So I really felt for this man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Mikey, you are Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> so they let them in, uh, the, the family, and they introduce them. They sit them down, get them drinks, and they tell them that Val's mother is running late because she was visiting her grandparents or his grandparents, I should say, in Palm Beach. Yeah. So they have champagne to celebrate and scotch. Uh, while the family is kind of walking around looking at the apartment, which has next to nothing in it, but it does have, quote, a bunch of old books, and they go look at the old books, and it's just Nancy Drew. It's a complete set of Nancy Drew, which you actually hear Hank Azaria (laughs) say that they just throw in those books when he got the cross. Yeah, they threw them in for free. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they sit down, and they're just kind of, talking we hear the engagement story or the end of it and it's terrible and nonsense it's it's so terrible yeah uh we also they're asking the senator like how was your trip and he basically just starts listing off things that he's seen and at one point he's just like here are all the states with amazing foliage and then (laughs) at one point he just says all the colors trees pennsylvania is nice too (laughs) where it's just like he can't even have a normal conversation. It's so strange. I love this part so so much. It's like one of the funniest understated parts of the movie for me because yes. Gene Hackman, like no one in the room is paying attention to Gene Hackman, yes. but he's talking like everyone is. <laughs> and, <Yep. laughs> and he's just selling it so hard. And then like, Literally after he stops droning on and then I think it's Val that says, oh, sorry, I was just so riveted by your story, <laughs> which it wasn't even a story. It was just like, yeah, he, I think he says Purple Mountain's majesty like four times in this like droning. He does. Yeah, it's so funny. It's amazing. So meanwhile, a phone call comes through on the answering machine and it's Catherine. She's stuck in traffic and she's trying to let them know. So he basically hangs up before she can keep talking so that they don't hear the message. And Armand and Val end up on the patio and they're like, do we wait for her? What do we do? Because she's probably not going to make it in time. While they're on the patio, Gene Hackman is like, there's something about the father and the mother not being here. I can't put my finger on it. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. They come back in from the patio, and here comes mom. It's Albert in drag. Oh, so good. And honestly, he just charms, she charms the pants off everybody. Like, everybody loves her. They should have just had to be her the whole time. Yeah, because if you let Nathan Lane be who Nathan Lane be, everyone's going to have a good night. Everybody. Yeah. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. 
so we cut back to one of the newsrooms for one of the paparazzis. They have on video the National Enquirer team finding out that the senator's going to be in South Beach. So now everybody's going. I love this kind of shit because it's ridiculous. Like the, Yeah, it's impossible. It's, it literally is like a standing person outside the senator's house, like doing one right. of the talkie segments. Back Now back to you, Dick and Jane, in the studio. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, zoom in on that guy in the back. And it like, zooms the camera in and they're super pixelated. And then for whatever reason, they're also professionally mic'd so you can hear yeah. what they're saying, <laughs> not just see them. Like, can mm-hmm. your camera read lips like that's not how this works but i mean i understand narratively why they do it it's just so funny to me when they do stuff like this yep so we cut to outside the club the national Enquirer is already there and there's no name on the bell for the building they can't find anybody but they see that armand goldman's name is on the front of the club and so they call to see what his deal is essentially and find out that he owns the drag club and so now they're like, so they're in a building owned by a guy with a similar name to what they are supposedly going to see and meet yeah. from what we've kind of heard. We suspect that they are there to see the people that run this club, which would have been a scandal at the time. So as they're basically getting ready to serve dinner, Agador comes in and just points and laughs at Albert because I think he didn't expect to see him there. Uh, But Albert just brushes it off like, it's such a problem. We don't know what makes him laugh. We never know what makes him laugh. We do find out why, though. It was the wig. He was laughing at the wig. Yeah, which I thought was hilarious. They then start talking politics. And my favorite part about this is that Albert, a.k.a. probably Nathan Lane improving, I'm not 100%, very possibly, just yes ands everything he says. Oh, it's so good. This is my favorite part of the movie is him talking to Gene Hackman. So, so funny. I love how enamored Gene Hackman gets with Nathan Lane. Yes. Yeah, because it's she's a great conversationalist, but also because she's just yes anding. Yeah. She's saying horrifying things. <laughs> the talk the talk about abortion had me rolling. Oh, about oh my they should just kill the mom and the fetus should go down with the ship or whatever. I don't think yes. we should kill abortion doctors. I think if we're going to do it, we kill the women. Because if the baby's going to die anyway, we might as well throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's <laughs> insane. My Well, there's also a section in this where they're talking about the senator that uh, recently passed. And he's like, I'm sure you heard about Jackson and how he died. And we already know from earlier in the movie that Albert and Armand don't watch the news. So he has no idea about this senator. And just winging it says, I don't believe a word. He was framed. (laughs) That's what Rush Limbaugh said. Yes. (laughs) So, so funny. And they even at one point, somebody pipes up and is like, hey, have you noticed that she's at like a Jonathan Swift level of crazy in this scene? Like we're eating babies at this point, practically. Well, Val says that. And then Gene Hackman's like, I don't know who Jonathan Swift is, but I like the cut of your mom's jib or whatever he says. (laughs) (laughs) The the fact that he doesn't know who Jonathan Swift is is hilarious to me. It is hilarious. He also, what he says is she's a passionate woman who follows her heart and I just love her. Yeah. (laughs) It's nuts. 
So as this is all happening, the paparazzi's all figured it out. They're all outside the club and then starting to go in the club. Meanwhile, they're still waiting for Agador to finish dinner. So they're playing piano and dancing and they are all getting along swimmingly, having a blast. They leave a note for Catherine downstairs on the gate to basically tell her, don't come up. We got it covered. Yeah. But immediately the National Enquirer guys snatch that thing and they're like, oh, what does this mean? Yeah. What is this about? They all sit down to dinner and their china is all men having sex. It's like a print of men in sexual Congress. Oh, like penetrating, like in the act of penetrating. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So funny. It's young men playing leapfrog. Is it Greek? I have no idea. Get me my glasses. Do you not have any women on yours? Mine definitely have women. Oh, I think that's a girl right there. Do you not have any girls in your bowl? When she was, when, when she was like, I've never seen this these, these plates before in my life. <laughs> So they serve the soup to try and hide what's in the bowls. The sweet and sour. <laughs> it's, there's hard boiled eggs in it. Like he, it's just kitchen sink soup where it's like whatever he could put into it. And he's just, he's just holding cooked shrimp in his hand because he didn't get a chance to put them in the soup before he took the soup out. <laughs> but as that's all happening back in the room where they're having dinner, Albert's shine is starting to wear off because Albert doesn't know the stories that they told them ahead of time when it was going to be Catherine. And so he makes a mistake and is like, oh, my parents died. Well, I thought you were visiting them. I mean, we moved their graves. Like, what's going on? And as that's kind of happening, he's still kind of charming people, but his wig slips and now they have a problem. Yeah. Well, they notice it. You know, Callista Flockhart, Val, Armand, they mm-hmm. all notice it and they all like attack her and they're like, let's all go to the bathroom together. Mm-hmm. And as they're in the bathroom, the conversation they'd been having right before was about kind of the small town where she grew up. And so Gene Hackman has is fully enamored of her, of this like... Yeah, they don't make them like that anymore. They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> She's such a nice, small-town girl, and he's a bougie European asshole. But like, <laughs> And his wife is like, I don't understand why you like her so much, but okay. Is this where he's like, I have a theory. He's cheating on her. Yes. 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 <laughs> so, so as that's happening, they're fixing the wig. Catherine didn't get the note because the paparazzi took it. Yes. So she shows up and they're like, oh, it's the live-in mistress. And she just introduces herself as Val's mom. Yeah. And then everyone else comes out to try and like, oh, we fixed the wig. Yeah. Hello. Like very. (laughs) I love that scene in Miss Doubtfire. I'm sorry. (laughs) They, They all come out and they're like, so how many mothers do you have? And this is the one scene where I think Val they're trying to have Val redeem himself but he just puts his arm around Albert and says this is my mother he literally takes the wig off of her yeah which is something you never do to a drag queen you don't take off a drag queen's wig no unless she has a told you to because you were styling it or b you want to get in a fight and lose <laughs> yeah you will lose that fight you will lose that fight she's got nails and passion and you have a handful of wig yeah <laughs> so this is where he basically says my father owns a nightclub downstairs albert my mother is the star 
and they kind of introduce everybody. They introduce uh, Catherine to explain kind of who she is. And Gene Hackman just does not understand. <laughs> he It's like he can't grasp it. He says, I don't understand like nine times. Like nine times. It's amazing. And Nathan Lane tries to understand. Like, nobody can explain it to him. Like, Nathan Lane walks <laughs> over to him and is like, all the things I said, all all of that was true. And he's just like, Gene Hackman's just like, I don't know what's going on. And then Nathan Lane turns around and is like, well, I tried. <laughs> like, walks yeah. away. He does kind of finally get it, or at least get enough of it to be like, this is not good for my election, quote unquote. Yeah, he's like trying to bail. And like, he's like getting his wife to like bail. And that's when Callista Flockhart is like, I'm staying. I'm not going with you guys. Uh, for like two seconds. For like two seconds, because her mom is like, don't do this to me. Someone has to like me best. <laughs> There's a lot of issues going on in their family for sure. It's it is a bonkers thing to but say. But no, I thought that she I thought that Calista Flockhart was going to stay. The only reason that they all stay is because the press are now right outside the door so they can't leave. No, because as they're trying to leave, he she turns to Armand and Albert and Val and says I would have really liked to have had you as my family. Oh, I didn't get that. Okay, I did not get that. My bad. Yep. Yeah, I thought they were broken up. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, uh, and as they're leaving, uh, Gene Hackman turns and goes, I hope this doesn't influence your vote. <laughs> Which, is- <laughs> Which is dumb because he's a senator from Ohio and they live in Florida. He's not running for president. They can't vote for him anyway. Yeah, it's it's nonsense. Um, but as he goes to open the door, the press is right outside. And we cut to them kind of in the apartment a little bit later, and they're watching out the windows for multiple television vans arriving. So they're just kind of seeing it get worse and worse yeah. and worse and worse and worse. And they're like, well, what if we just tell them the truth? We're here to meet the parents of the boy that Barbara wants to marry. And they're like, they'll never believe that's why we were here, especially after the scandal that just happened. And so we're going to have to find a way to get out of the club. <laughs> and Albert is basically like, man, all this press, the one night I don't perform. Like, just like, <laughs> does not get why the press is there. And I love that. He just doesn't understand why the press is there. Doesn't care. I love it. Agador, Agador walks through. Anyone want soup? No. Everyone is like, pass on the soup. No, thank you. (laughs) So they realize that in order to get them out of the club, they're going to have to disguise them. Yeah. So they disguise them as drag queens and have them dance out through the last number, which is, of course, we are family. And they make their way through the paparazzi in the club, through the cameras and everything outside and into Armand and Albert's car. Being driven by... The birth mom. I forget her name. Oh, no, it's her car. It's Catherine's car because she has to go back that way anyway. Yeah, I just like that she was involved uh, in the caper. Yeah. Yeah, she's still involved with the caper. Yeah. My my favorite is they go past their sedan yeah. and he's like, meet me at the corner of El Dorado and Palm. And he just says, lady, not for a million dollars. And Gene Hackman <laughs> is not fishy at all, but I love that he like bought into the fact that Gene Hackman was a lady. It was great. Yeah. Uh, we... We cut to the wedding. Everyone's crying. At one point, one of the attendees of the wedding just says, Bob Dole is gorgeous. I know. <laughs> so Im- implying that Bob, that Bob Dole is at this wedding. And gorgeous. Both of those are <laughs> <Yeah>. lies. <laughs> gorgeous. Um, they end up, they, they say, you may kiss the bride. And as it happens, Albert just shriek cries. Yes. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, 
What do you guys think? Give me some final thoughts about the birdcage. It definitely has some problem problematic elements not the least of which being Hank Azaria's character Agador which I will talk about at length in fun facts yeah there's a lot of problems with uh, his character yeah. specifically I think yeah. if it wasn't for Nathan Lane this this movie would not be a rewatchable I agree yeah, I, well, absolutely it's because Nathan Lane is great and I love him in everything I feel mm-hmm. the same way about Lion King man oh yes I love this movie it does definitely get funnier as I have gotten older yeah um, agree so i very much enjoyed watching it today yeah because i get more of the jokes now like when i first saw yep. this almost everything was over my head yeah you know but man i really i enjoyed watching it now like you said Paige, there are some super problematic things that if the movie was written now it wouldn't be that way but right you know it is what it is and it's very much revolutionary for the time i was gonna say that yeah like this movie in 96 must have been like a shock for a lot of people like robin williams is doing what wasn't he just in Good Morning Vietnam? Like this had a wide release and stuff too, right? We'll talk about that, man. I'll talk about it in fun facts yeah. because okay. it's there's a lot behind this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Paige, do you want to get into fun facts? Yeah, let's, let's just jump get into, into it. it. Yeah, let's do it. Hit us with your fun facts. Birdcage fun facts. Oh my oh, god. Man. Oh my god, Paige. We are of one accord. Let's do this. I'm just left out all of the time. It's because you're in a civic and we're in an accord. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I still drive a Honda, but I'm still left out. Yeah. So at the time that this movie came out in America, it was not the first movie to feature drag queens or gay relationships. There had been two recent movies, both Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, that had eventually been released here, and Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, plus RuPaul is coming to prominence during this time. Ellen Mm -hmm. hasn't come out yet on TV, so it's still considered niche within America's pop culture landscape. Oh, yeah. And... Both Priscilla and Tu Wong Fu had not done well at the box office. They go on to be cult, like mega hits. Yes. But at this time, they're not there yet. This movie is based on a play, La Cage Faux, uh, which roughly translates to The Cage of Mad Women. And it's a 19... 19- <laughs> yeah. That's not great. Well, I mean, I think it's meant to be a metaphor. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, It's a 1973 French play, and it has pretty similar plot, uh, except it's Saint-Tropez instead of South Beach, and it is made into a French-Italian movie in 1978, and had sequels, and spawned like an American TV pilot uh, that was at one point in production called Adam and Eve's, because Eve's is... One of the names, it's, I believe Adam is Armand and Eve's is Albert. Ah, okay. But that pilot never makes it to TV. It did badly. Um, Mm. But so all of this gets adapted into a musical on Broadway in 1983. I love everything about what you're saying right now. Yeah, uh, there is a musical version of this. There's never been a musical movie version of this, although there's always rumors about it happening. It hasn't happened yet. But... In 1983, that musical, instead of just a script, they usually call it a book because it includes your songs and your script. Uh, Mm -hmm. That book is written by Harvey Firestein with music and lyrics by Jerry Herman. And it is moderately successful at the time. But there is a recent Broadway revival um, that Kelsey Grammer has been in, Ginger Minj, a bunch of different people are in. If you're really interested I highly recommend watching Ginger sing some of the songs from the musical 
Um, she sang them for, I think it was the Glad Awards. I'm not 100%. I'll see if I can find it and post it in the Facebook group. Beautifully done. Um, but as all of that's happening, Mike Nichols and Elaine May were an improv comedy duo in the 1950s and 60s. And then they had gone on to work in feature films. So Nichols, who directed this movie, also directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate, which is oh. phenomenal. Like, I, it's not, I mean, it's, I don't think you can justify it as a romantic comedy necessarily, but the, I love The Graduate. I would love to watch it for one of our shows. Um, but so he saw La Caja Faux as the Italian movie and believed that he could remake it as an American movie. So he contacted his old improv comedy duo partner, Elaine May, and she had written Heaven Can Wait and Ishtar and had her write the adaptation. And it was the first time they'd actually worked in a movie together. So they had like done improv together, then gone off and done their own thing, and then 20 years later come back. And they do this movie. And they end up making another movie right after this, but it's not as famous as this one. But so that's how this movie comes to be, is like they bring their clout from the other projects they've done. And they're like, we really love this pet project that we want to adapt. And because they had the like industry clout to do it, people let them do it. But it was a strange production. It goes through all kinds of changes. So first of all, Armand, Robin Williams' role, was supposed to be Steve Martin. Oh, man. I love Steve Martin, and I bet Steve Martin could have done very well at this. I do, but I think Robin Williams gets to more of the emotional core Same. of that character. Yeah, he does such a good job. But in that casting arrangement, Steve Martin was going to play Armand, and Robin Williams was going to play Albert. Interesting. Uh, Which I don't think I would have liked. Me either. Because you need Nathan Lane. You need Nathan Lane. So there are scheduling conflicts for Steve Martin. He can't do it. He pulls out of the productions. And Robin Williams is like, well, that's great. Because I didn't want to be Albert anyway. I want to be Armand. And so they're like, what? Like, that's not the comedy. That's the straight role. You're Robin Williams. And he's just like, let me try it. Have you not seen Dead Poet Society? I can do that. Have you not seen Mrs. Doubtfire and sobbed for your whole life? Have you not seen Good Morning Vietnam? I know. Or Hook? Like, that, I know Hook is a kid's movie and it's got a terrible rating on Rotten Tomatoes and I don't know how that's possible. But whenever that scene in Hook when Pockets is like playing with his face and it's just like, you're in there, Peter. I sob every time. Yeah, like me too. Amazing. I also cry when Rufio gets stabbed. I'm going to say it. I'm, I, it's very sad. It is very sad. Um, so they end up offering the part to Nathan Lane because they saw him while he was starring in Neil Simon's Laughter on the 23rd Floor on Broadway. And Nathan Lane, familiar with the play, is like, yeah, obviously, but I can't because I've already been cast in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. I can't do it. Nice. Was that on Broadway or was that a movie? It was on Broadway. Yeah, he's done so much Broadway stuff. Like he is a Broadway star first. Yeah. And so uh, Nichols, the director, kept calling him because they because <laughs> they kept auditioning other people. And he was like, I keep auditioning all these people, but it keeps just making me think that you're the guy for this. So Nathan Lane is like, fine. If you call the director of this play and convince him to delay putting this play on, I'll come do this movie for you. Now, Scott <laughs> Rudin 
was directing that play. Yeah. Super famous director yeah. now, Scott Rudin, not as famous at the time. So the director of this movie calls him and convinces him to delay the play so that Nathan Lane could be Albert. They then also, right around the same time, see Callista Flockhart on Broadway. She had not done a lot of Hollywood stuff. This is pre-Allie McBeal. Yeah. This is pre-everything. They cast her. This is one of her first on-screen, like big deal on-screen roles. And then we get to Hank Azaria. This is a very interesting and complicated story. Now, they had cast Hank Azaria from, uh, he was on a TV show called Quiz Show. Now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, at the time when they cast him, it was for a different role. Because in the play and in some of the other movies, the dresser, so Albert's dresser, basically the person who helps him get in and out of drag. And their maid slash housekeeper are two different roles. And he was cast as the dresser. And in the play, the housekeeping role is black specifically because it plays on the other conservative families, both homophobia and racism. Yeah. And they had cast David Allen Greer. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. I mean, I love David Allen Greer. Like, I do too. But as they started working through the movie, it just didn't seem to work right. And so they decided part of the problem they were having is they felt like American audiences wouldn't understand why those were two different roles. Why, you know, all of this stuff is happening at home, but why do they have different jobs? Right. Because in all likelihood, a lot of Americans probably didn't realize that you would need someone to help you in and out of drag. So they decide to combine those roles, but they couldn't decide. They they still had to have it be a non-white character, quote unquote, to maintain that element of they are also racist in the play. And so they come up with a backstory of this character being Guatemalan. And Robin Williams is like, why don't you just have Hank Azaria do both? And Hank Azaria, if you don't know, is Jewish, although his family is uh, Judeo-Spanish, but that's not the same as South American. No. (laughs) Not at all. And so they tell Hank Azaria about it, and they're like, hey, fun fact, you get a bunch more lines. This is now your, like, role and your backstory. And he's like, whoa, 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 hey, uh, no, you should probably hire someone of South American descent. Like, that. that's... You probably I, I should probably not be doing this at the time. He had already taken jobs on The Simpsons. Right. And so in order to try and convince him to do it, even though he didn't feel super right about it, not being portrayed by someone of that descent. Well, he's got in trouble for that in The Simpsons, though. He has. Well, yeah. so at the time, because this is 1995, give or take. They're like, um, okay, pot calling the kettle black. What about Apunahasa Sima Pantalon? And he's just like. Fuck! So they talk him into doing it because he had done Apu. Yeah. So he ends up getting in trouble for it twice, essentially. Oh, gosh. But what he has said in interviews is that the accent is based on his grandmother and that that's kind of how his grandmother sounded. Still not great. Still appropriation. But that's how that all went down. Now, he turned 30 while working on the movie, but because it had taken so long to actually get into production, he was also working on heat at the same time. (laughs) And so he would work on heat till 6 a.m. and then go to the birdcage set and was working 18 hour days 
for a portion of shooting. Oh, that's got to be a nightmare. Like I, oh. yeah, I've done that for like like a week at a time or two weeks at a time. But like to do two productions like that back to back, like shotgunning them like that, has got to be a nightmare. It's nuts. Now it's kind of interesting. His character. And I don't know if this is the case in the French play, but in this American version, they base his character off of Judy Garland's dresser. Now, historically, Judy Garland was known to panic before every show and have to be kind of talked down. Uh, and I think they were just giving her real pills and not Purin tablets right. or whatever. Um, but her dresser, who worked with her for decades, basically had developed a system where she would start to freak out and then they would freak out worse, which meant that Judy then had to calm them down and it would then calm her down enough to go on stage. That right there is three chess. That's awesome. Yeah, that's some 40 chess right yeah. there. And so that's what Agador was written to be. Okay. Now, as far as writing versus improv in this movie, they basically, the rule was they had to shoot everything as written and then they would do one take of improvising. That's what I call the school photo version of directing, which is we get one for the books and then we do a fun one. Yeah, and but only one fun one. So right. like a lot of times like uh, Aptow and a couple other people will get like one or two by the book and then like six fun ones yeah. and play around. Sure. This is just one fun one. And so the bulk of the movie is as written because sometimes their improv wouldn't fit the story. But there uh. are a handful of basically moments that they kept. We don't really know what they are, but it, it basically was largely as written. Okay. And those are our fun facts. Well, thank you for your fun facts, Paige. As always, they were super fun and super factual. Mm -hmm. Let's talk some box office. So this movie came out in 1996. What do you think the budget for the birdcage was? Uh, single location, but everything had to be built. I'm going to say $8 million. Mikey, do you want to venture a guess, my man? <sighs> I don't know. I'm really curious about box office with this film for the time period, the subject matter. Yeah. I mean, it looks it looks like it has a big budget. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 15. All right, it was 31 million dollars. Wow! Holy shit! Yeah. Oh god, that's big. I mean, those are big actors. I think that's yeah. why. But also, that's a huge risk in '96 to do a movie like this. And yeah, let's talk about whether it paid off or not. So the movie came out. On March 8th, 1996, and it was number one the weekend it came out. It beat Homeward Bound 2, Up Close and Personal, Down Periscope, and Hellraiser 4 Bloodline. <laughs> so it didn't have super strong competition. So what do you think it made in its opening weekend at the box office? And again, it was March 8th, 96. Um, uh, 96, March. I'm going to say 10, 10 mil. Okay, Mikey, what do you think? I'm going to do 15 again. All right. It was $18.2 million. Ah, it crushed right. the number two movie, which again was Homeward Bound 2. It made $8 million that week. So it made wow. $10 million more than Homeward Bound 2. Now, this movie went on to be the number one movie at the box office for four straight weeks. Damn. Really? Yes. So it smashed. Yeah, it only got unseated in its fifth week out, which is the week of April 5th, when it got unseated by two movies. Primal Fear was number one that week. Number two was The Thin Blue Line Between Love and Hate. 
They, both of those movies made $9 million. Primal Fear made 9.8. A Thin Blue Line made 9.3. The Birdcage made 9.2 that week. So it was almost number one for five weeks running. Wow. That is this movie wild. had legs. All right. So what do you think it made in its domestic box office run? I mean, if it was number one for that long, yeah. and, and I know that this was like a risky move at the time, but you are dealing with like the director of The Graduate and shit. So like, I understand investing. Oh, yeah. But also like super big name actors like Gene yeah, Hackman yeah, yeah. at the time was huge. Nathan Lane was honestly sort of a star. He's probably one of the smaller stars of the leads, but Robin Williams, yeah, huge star. Robin Williams you know? is huge. I'm going to say four weeks at number one. This made at least, I, I'm going to say 70 million. All right, Mikey, what do you think? 75. All right. It made $124 million. Damn. Good Lord. If you adjust that for inflation, that's like $211 million domestically. Just domestically. Just domestic. That So it did amazing. It did is amazing. Paige, it did another $57.7 million internationally. For a total Fuck. of $181.7 million in 96, or roughly the equivalent of $309.3 million today. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It made a lot of money. And I, I'm like, I'm honestly so happy it made so much money. <laughs> when I when I looked at the box office for this, because uh, at this time in my life, I was very young and very Mormon, so we did not go see it. But like, I was so glad to see how well it did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's amazing. so that's your box office. Do you guys think they're still together? I think Albert and Armand are still together. Yes, that's what I was going to say. We've got two. Let's do three couples. Do you think Gene Hackman and his wife are still together? Yes, out of shame and duty. Yes, same. It's like a, yeah, <laughs> I agree completely. All right. Do you think Armand and Albert are, Albert are still together? Absolutely. Same. Yes. Because they, they actually love each other and do communicate their feelings. Yeah. And even though Albert can be a little over the top, they care for each other and care about each other's well-being and work together to make a good, strong relationship. I think they're together, yes. Yeah, and I think they got married on June 26, 2015 when it became legal in the U.S. Like, uh, I, I think they're that kind of couple, you know? I hope yeah. so. Uh, all, all right, so Val and Callista Flockhart's character, whose name I do not remember in the movie. Absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not. Because he has no empathy. He doesn't understand what it means to care about a, uh, about people for who they are. I mean, the only we get a glimpse of it at the end of the movie, but he is still 20 and has a lot to learn. And the kind of person that would do that to their family is not a kind of person that's going to understand and invest in their a relationship. Teenager. Uh, one here's the thing I understand that some people have families that do not get along and they maybe can't spend time with families and it's a hard introduction I understand that that's not the part that I'm having a problem with the part I have a problem with is him telling his family to lie about who they are to please his girlfriend's family yeah that's messed up to a level that I do not think he can have a successful adult relationship yeah I mean, I 100% agree. And also, Callista Flockhart's not into dudes her own age. She's fully married to Harrison Ford, who's like 22 years older than she is. So, Are they still married? Did you just yeah. Google if they were still married? I, I can are look it up. Married? I think they are still married. They're like one of those yeah. Hollywood couples that have been together forever. Hang on. I forgot about that. 
Are they still? Yeah, they got married, married and they got married in June of 2010, and it says they're still together. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, if you marry Han Solo, you're gonna let Han Solo go? Of course not. Absolutely not. No. I He's mean, got privileges with Chewie. Like Chewie's the hall pass, yeah. but like, and you know yeah. he Indiana bones. That's really funny. Uh, All right. So this week I made you guys watch The Birdcage. You're welcome. What are you, Paige? Yes. Making us watch next week. But I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do remember you talking about this now. Yeah. I honestly don't know much about it, though. I am very excited. It is streaming. I checked. It is on Amazon. Very fun. A lot of uh, a who's who of people who eventually become crazy famous. And it's like a cult classic. It got mentioned in the Facebook group like six or seven times in just today alone. Oh, yeah. As I was like, yeah, I was going through the posts of other stuff just to see what other, because we have one more movie. We If we do four, we have another one. But also, you know, to just integrate them more into the rotation regularly. You mean, and I was uh, trying you to mean f- specifically LGBTQ plus movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it came up like every two or three comments. And I was like, well, good, because I was going to pick it anyway. So, (laughs) but I'm a cheerleader. Awesome. So your homework this week is to get white wine drunk in honor of Robin Williams' character in this movie, in the birdcage, (laughs) and watch, but I'm a cheerleader. I was going to say get wine cooler drunk in honor of high school students who don't know what to drink is this like from late 90s early 2000s yes okay well yes. That, that, then that checks out yeah okay yeah get bartles and james drunk <laughs> get drunk on some alizé this yep. is pre four loco yeah because you yes. don't get four loco until you hit like hottie and the naughty like that's yeah all right yeah. well awesome guys watch but i'm a cheerleader yay so mikey do you have a review for us to read well, while you look up a review, <laughs> let me tell them how they can have their review run on the podcast, and that is to leave us a five-star text review and, uh, you know, have a little fun with it. That way, we can have a little fun reading it. Mikey, who's you going to read this week? And I happen to know we got like five or six reviews over the course of a week, so thank you guys for that. And Mikey should have quite a few to pick from. Uh, I'm going to read Will Vet for Cows. That's a funny name. <laughs> All right. Well, what does Will Vet for Cows have to say? Be careful if you listen while driving. Oh, is that the title? Yeah. I love it. That's the title. Yeah. I can't praise this podcast enough. But try. I started listening (laughs) after falling in love with Horror Virgin. Oh, thank you so much for listening to our sister pod. I don't think there has been an episode yet that hasn't made me laugh so hard it makes me swerve while driving. That's really dangerous. Okay, hang on. (laughs) We need to pause right here. If you are unable to operate your motor vehicle while listening to the podcast, you should not listen while you commute. The entire Twilight episode, the monocle relationship Mikey describes. (laughs) (laughs) I still want to do that love at first sight. A TV show. Uh, that, I still Re- have the art for that. <laughs> the monocle one is Fifty Shades, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And I, Todd referencing a carrot of anal aggression had me in stitches. Oh my god, is that in the review? Yeah, a oh carrot of anal aggression. Paige's voice is fantastic to listen to as yes, she describes is. the plot as she lays down some hardcore knowledge. She lays knowledge. it down. Lay you down. The way each of you joke with one another makes always makes me smile. That's yeah. sweet. This is the perfect trio, and Thursdays can never come fast enough. Just like ladies. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you and I are both super perverted. (laughs) Love listening while I'm in the car going to farm calls. Oh, it's an actual vet. Uh, 12 out of 10. Highest of accolades, Dina. 
Well, Dina, thank you so much for that awesome five-star review. We appreciate it, and I'm sure you've left a review for the Horror Virgin, so thank you so much for doing that as well. Yay! And go review the Cult Podcast if you haven't done that one, because they're awesome as well. So, um, yeah, guys, if you like this power thruple that we have here on this podcast, make sure to check out our other podcast, The Horror Virgin, and that is the only other podcast that Mikey and I are on, but Paige gets around, and she is on two other podcasts, Black Card Rehab and Cult Podcast. So guys, definitely check out those because they're amazing. If you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show. Yes. On yes. Instagram. And we are at something else on Twitter who I just have never taken the time to learn it's, it. It's just Romancing Pod Show because they have a character oh. limit and it's show, S-H-O, like Showtime. So guys, check that out as well. And if you want to follow us all individually, pages at Rampage Wesley everywhere, including TikTok, except for Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mikey is at M Randolph 24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. That's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm Todd. And you complete us. To completion. (laughs) Your face has made that worth it. Toodle pip. You're my heroine now. (laughs) (laughs) That's like your go-to when you like... I don't know if I can say something that's not offensive. Well, like the movies we've been watching lately, people have not really been good with the sweet talk. Not that you're my heroine now is great sweet talk. You should go with, (laughs) I pierced your toast. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? You know I'm triggered by toast. Toast coitus. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 